fans and welcome to shut up and wrestle an old school wrestling podcast about good conversations and great stories i am your host brian r solomon and welcome to episode 76 of shut up and wrestle in which my guest is the longtime wwe chief photographer john giamundo aka johnny photo before we get to my interview with Johnny Photo, I'd like to touch on a few subjects. The first is a very unfortunate one, which I feel it's important to mention here this week, as last week we learned of the tragic passing at the age of 54 of Darren Drozdov, a.k.a. Droz, who many of us knew from the WWF of the late 1990s, his career tragically cut short by a mistake in the ring, a powerbomb gone wrong, which led to about 24 years in a wheelchair for Draws, unfortunately, as a quadriplegic. At the time that I came to work for WWE, the accident, Draws's accident, had just occurred a few months prior. And I remember the company did everything they could to include him in some way. I know, for example, those were the days when he was regularly a part of WWF's Bite This web show. For those who remember that, it was recorded about 10 feet away from my desk on the first floor. And, of course, Draz would also contribute columns to WWE Magazine and other company publications. Many of those columns I personally edited myself in my capacity as copy editor for the publications department. I know Draz had a really tough go of it and had a very unfortunate turn taken in his career. Sorry to see that happen to anyone, but he took it about as well as anyone could take such an unthinkable tragedy. And now our thoughts and prayers are with the family and friends of Draz, also known as Darren Drozdov. I'd like to take a moment to thank everybody for the outpouring of positive response to last week's From the Archives edition of Shut Up and Wrestle, in which I posted a, a, a 2006 interview that I did with the American Dream Dusty Rhodes from back in my WWE days. And I'm going to be doing more of that in the episodes to come. I'll let you know when the next one will be and who the subject will be. But I'm so glad to find a home for those archival interviews right here at Shut Up and Wrestle, and I thank all of you for listening and for giving me such positive feedback. I'm glad you enjoyed that candid look back, that very real conversation with one of wrestling's larger-than-life immortal legends. An update on the progress of Irresistible Force, the life and times of Gorilla Monsoon. I recently had the pleasure to conduct a long 
an in-depth interview with the unpredictable one himself, none other than Johnny Rods, who worked closely with Gino for many years in the WWF. Of course, Johnny Rods, something like a a 25-year veteran of the WWF, one of the best workers they ever had for those who know and understand such things, and a deserving inductee to the WWF Hall of Fame back in the 90s. I'm very grateful to Johnny. He really gave me a lot of great memories, recollections, and insight on Gorilla Monsoon, the wrestler, and on Bob Morella, a.k.a. Gino Morella, the human being. So thank you, Johnny. All that stuff is being poured into this book, and I promise you I'm working very hard on it, and I will continue to keep everybody updated on how it is going. And finally, I'd like to make mention of the New England Fan Fest which is coming up, the New England Fan Fest, which is taking place on Saturday, July 29th in Warwick, Rhode Island at the Crown Plaza Providence Warwick Hotel. I will be there from 9 to 5. I will be signing copies of Blood and Fire, the unbelievable real-life story of wrestling's original chic. So if you are in the area, if you plan to come down to New England Fan Fest, Come over and say hi. Come over and buy a book if you like. But most importantly, come over and say hi. I hope to see you there. Saturday, July 29th, New England Fan Fest in Warwick, Rhode Island. Now, let's get to the matter at hand. Johnny Photo, the lead WWE photographer all through the 2000s and the 2010s, somebody who... I got to know very well during my time at WWE, but as I say here, he greatly exceeded me in the amount of of years that he spent there. I've been waiting a while to get John on here because he recently left WWE not long ago, uh, less than a year ago or something to that effect, and I know that he was kind of waiting for the appropriate amount of time to pass before he was able to speak on a podcast like this. And I'm very proud to add him to the list of former WWE employees, people that I worked with, that I had the opportunity to bring on this show to discuss their experiences. So I hope that you enjoy it. Take a listen. I'm going to take you to it right now. Okay, so it's my pleasure this week on Shut Up and Wrestle to welcome somebody that I've been hoping to have on the show for a while now, actually, and I'm glad that we're finally able to do it. He is someone that I worked with at WWE, but his career just at WWE goes far beyond that. My my time there is a drop in the bucket compared to his time there. He was, for roughly 20 years, the, the, the lead photographer for WWE and uh, shooting all the action at ringside and on the occasions when he was not, uh, he he was uh, accidentally getting into Kevin Dunn's shot. You may have even seen him on TV now and then, but most of the time he was very carefully camouflaged. Um, His name is John Giamondo in the WWE family and universe. However, he was always known as Johnny photo photo. Thanks for being on the show. Uh, glad to be a part. I might as well be in the long list of former WWE employees that have done your show. <laughs> I know my my goal is I'm I'm checking them off a list. If I could get everybody that I worked with in publications and photography 
then boom, my my mission will be accomplished. <laughs> Have you had uh, Steve Taylor yet? No, I I want to. I had Tom. Yeah, Tom Buchanan. Very good. Tom has great stories. Yeah, he's amazing. And I had um somebody else from Photo. I can't think about who. Oh man, maybe I. Yeah, and Tom Tom also suggested getting Steve, uh, and I'd love to, but I just I don't know if he does interviews. I don't I don't know because he's somebody that I think a lot of people have approached, and I just don't think he does it. You know, he's doing something up in Rhode Island at the end of July. This is his first like Q and A autograph session with the um, that guy Joe Brune out of Providence. So I will be there. Out of Providence at the end of July. And the funny thing is, I saw Tom over the winter. I was skiing up at Okemo when we met up. And he's, I said, you know what? He actually, he said, he goes, you, me and Steve together would be a hysterical panel of the three eras of WWF slash WWE photography since Steve started it, then handed it off to Tom. And it ended up in my lap after Tom hired me. And then he left and he said he would do it if I went up. I said, well, you know what? I'll get a hold of this guy, Joe, and see if I can make it up there. Cause I thought it would be actually pretty fun for the three of us to go and span. I mean, when did Steve start? Like late 70s, early oh, 80s? Oh, man. I mean, he was Prob- there from the beginning. Yeah, probably. I want to say, like, because WWF started doing their own in-house photography. I know it was in 1983 because I remember digging through the files and it was something like the first show that they ever had their own photographers at was, I believe, something like August or July or August 83. And so my best guess is that had to be Steve because I think he was there right from the word go of that. Yeah, he he was the first staff photographer for WWF. And then right. Tom, I guess Tom became staff when, like around WrestleMania 3? Tom said that his first date as a freelancer was WrestleMania 1. So, but but he wasn't full-time yet. And so, yeah, you might be right. It might be like around the WrestleMania 3 time that he finally came on board. And then they started like transitioning where Steve was kind of like getting off the road and Tom would be more of the guy that would be out there yeah, and then doing Steve it. Steve ended up, uh, I, I guess the story Tom tells is Steve, somebody in event operations, something happened to people in, in that were handling the buildings and Steve was a fill in because he was always on the road. And then I think he eventually said, well, why don't, why don't I run everything on the road now? And Tom, you take over photo and, so when I started, it was he, Steve had me calling him the icon <laughs> because he, he started the photo department and then he created the event operations department. Right. So I started in two, October 2000. Steve was already, you know, firmly planted and running the road show for the WWF. Tom was running photo and I was hired as staff where it was just Tom and freelancers every week. And then they created a second staff position and I got hired. Uh, yeah, October 2000. So right as, you know, WWF was taken over Monday nights and WCW was on its, you know, decline, if you will, uh, until, you know, Vince bought WCW right before WrestleMania 17. Right, because that was not long after I started, because I started in February 2000. And at the time that I started, uh, Steve Taylor was, he just had an, he had an office at the tower. I, I'm pretty sure that he was just there. I think he was on the fourth floor because I remember I had to interview him for a couple of stories. We were doing a story about about Tuesday Night Titans and everybody was like, you got to talk to Steve Taylor because he was there shooting everything. 
And he had, uh, you know, he he just had a, an office at that time. But I remember when you started, like, I remember one of the earliest times I remember meeting you. I know, like, Tom, Tom hated, and I mentioned this to him, and he laughed because it's true. <laughs> he hated having to come to publications meetings. Like, he was just disgusted. Because back then, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but, like, publications, the department, is much more independent today. It's its own little like castle whereas back then publications uh i'm sorry photo not publication publications is gone photo was its own as its own kind of thing now whereas back then photo was almost like an arm of publications in a way like like it was sort yeah, of like an outgrowth products wasn't it we were we were right under, it was the magazine was considered a product so we were ultimately under so it was you know i got hired tom was my boss tom reported to noel Noel to Barry, Barry to Donna Goldsmith. When I started, that's how it was. Right. No, that's right. But and and Tom, like I said, he he absolutely hated. You know, he would Barry would summon him. Barry Werner, who was the at the at that time the publisher of WWE magazine and you know the other publications, he would summon Tom to the meetings we would have, and Tom would <laughs> just be disgusted. Like he didn't want to be there. He'd be making like jokes. Or like making fun of things that Barry would say, or just and like had a spiral notebook with him, rolling his <laughs> eyes. Like I remember one, one of my favorite exchanges is Barry goes to him once. Like this was at the time when the whole mystery. Do you remember when this was right when you got there when they did the thing where um, what was it? The the Stone Cold got hit by a car, right? And it was revealed that it was Rikishi that did it. And he was doing it, you know, for The Rock. That's the famous promo that he gave. I did it for I, The yeah, Rock. Steve, I think, was just coming back from his neck surgery when I started. Right. And it was right. It was to explain that. It was to explain yeah. that. And I remember it was this big controversy on TV, you know, on the show. Like, who who ran over yeah. Steve Austin? And Barry goes to Tom at the meeting. He's like, Tom, who do you think it was? Do you know who hit Steve Austin with the car? And Tom was like, Barry... I could not care less about that. I have no idea and I couldn't care less. But <laughs> sounds like Tom. <laughs> but he brought you to one of those meetings. That was the first time I met you. Yeah, I think uh, so. My first show was in Hartford, Connecticut. Uh, Monday Night Raw. It was, I wasn't at the pay per view, but it was, the night before was uh, maybe it was Night of Champions. Was it still called it back then when Kurt won the title? Oh, um, I think for the first time. Yeah, I was it, it started a, in October. October 23rd, 2000 was my first day. Was it a pay-per-view? So the night before was the pay-per-view. I wasn't right. I didn't work it. I worked right. Raw in Hartford. Okay. And I came up, you know, had the orientation. I think Chia Petta was in my class, my orientation class. Yes. And a few other people that lasted a pretty long time. And we were in the conference room and Tom stuck his head in. He's like, I need to steal John. We have to go up to the show. And they're like, okay, well, you know, John's be working TV, so he he won't be really in the office. And we drove from Stanford to Hartford, and I met Rich and Craig, and uh, they just sat in the, in the uh, by hard camera with a headset on, so I could hear the camera calls and kind of get a sense of how things work. And then they said, oh, we need you backstage for this uh, uh, pre-tape. I'm like, oh, okay, get your camera with a flash. And it was Stephanie coming out of the limo with Kurt showing off Kurt with the title, and we were the paparazzi. So now that was taped. Now I'm in the crowd with the headphone on, headphones on, 
and uh, th they showed a pre-tape. Now, what do, I don't know anything about continuity. I've never worked in television. I was shot hockey for 10 years before I, before <laughs> I changed over. And Tom looks over with a big smile on his face, and they hear all these fans. Hey, how could you be on TV if you're sitting right there in the crowd? <laughs> I'm like, uh. So afterwards, Tom's like, yeah, they should have known better. I'm like, you know, what the hell do I know? This is my first day on the job, <laughs> you know. But then that's where I understood continuity. Like, you shouldn't be on TV, and now you now you're seen in in the by by the ring or we've done that a bunch of times. We left the ring, sure. shot something, and ran back, and it's like. Well, how could you be on TV or, you know, you point these things out in like meetings, like, well, why is the referee there? If he's still going to be in a, no, that was, that was funny. Then the next night was Nassau Coliseum, which was home to me living on Long Island. Sure. Because you shot for, before WWE, you were working for the Islanders, right? Well, I worked for a company called Bruce Bennett Studios. And okay. we were team photographers for the Islanders, the Rangers, the Devils and uh, Philadelphia Flyers. So I did that for 10 years, which was, you know, a dream job as a hockey fan. And then you're at hockey games taking pictures like, wow, I get paid for this. And <laughs> so I had met Tom because he would rent the photo strobes from Bruce when when WWF was at Nassau Coliseum. So Bruce knew I was a fan. Another guy I worked with was a fan as well. And we would hand him back then before, you know, it was labeled entertainment. We'd hand Tom a radio in the crowd and we had to go sit up in the in the press box. And we just sat and watched a show, made sure nothing happened to the lights. But uh, I, I do remember one time we were we were up in the cat, we turned everything on, we were just making sure everything works. And it was uh, tugboat and earthquake in the ring together. So I don't know if they were a tag team at the time or they were working with each other or they were having a feud, but they were in the ring going over stuff. And we're like, holy cow. You know, like, what's going on down, <laughs> down there? Wait a minute. This isn't supposed to happen. Four o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> right. But, you know, that was before Monday Night Raw. It was when they would tape, you know, a whole bunch of shows and then put them together on television. Right. And then, uh, so we did that a bunch of times. And then when it was entertainment, then I all of a sudden I was given an all access pass. Right. Because it was, was a lot backstage. You know, yeah. and I'd walk in back in the hall room, uh, the hallway by the locker rooms, like, oh, the cat is Owen Hart hanging out with whoever. And then you just stay, sitting with Tom and going over stuff. And I think one of them, there was a, it wasn't a WF magazine, but it was a wrestling maybe it was a PWI, I forget, but it had the, the bunch of the girls on and Luna, um, you know, rest in peace. It was a picture of all the girls and she was on it. And she went up to Tom's like, I know I'm not attractive, but could they make me look any uglier on this magazine cover? And I don't know any of these people. I'm like, uh, I, you know, she's looking at me. I'm like, I, what do you want? I don't work here. <laughs> yeah. I'm just not saying anything. I just keep my mouth shut and follow Tom. And then it turned to Monday night Raw, and I shot a few hard camera, few shows from hard camera. I was at the show and, and shot backstage when, when they, uh, when Steve put the Phil Vince's Corvette with cement and Tom's like, well, go this segment, leave and go run back there and, and shoot the stuff. And, you know, I'm like the cameraman's bumping it. I don't know any better. And it turns out it's Stu camera six, like bumping into me. I'm like trying to stay out of the way. And you watch your clips, you'll see the flash glitch on the glass of the, uh, <laughs> the cement mixer. I mean, nobody said anything. I mean, there were stories other times where people used flash backstage and Vince uh, was uh, very visibly upset, <laughs> upset with the photographer, <laughs> which I guess was uh, Tom's would send somebody back knowing something might happen and they would catch the heat instead of Tom. He'd be <laughs> out by the ring, you know. So if I got yelled at, I was like, well, he's, he doesn't know any better. I just sent it back to him. You'll never see him again. 
I didn't know that 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 Tom was using you kind of freelance that far back. I I, I had no idea that you were. Yeah, you were I also that. shot. There was a stretch. It might have been 1996. Is I kept the credential for a while. He was. I think there was a stretch where he was looking for people to um, work certain areas so he didn't have to cover every show. And I went to Nassau Coliseum, met him, and I shot ringside. And it was like the heyday of Sun, uh, Sunny. You know, mm -hmm. she's ringside. And I'm like, you know, she's in those little shorts. And you go. <laughs> right. <laughs> Stay focused. Stay focused. On the yeah, it was, again, it was when they were taping all the shows and then making making one where they put all the matches together and make an episode. And then uh, the crazy story about when he when I got hired was he had called one of the guys I worked with and asked uh, if he wanted to take a job as a photo editor. And he's, he didn't want to travel from Long Island. He didn't want to commute to Stanford. And that's the job Frank got. Frank Vitucci, yeah. So, we're mentioning a lot of people by their first name. So I want to make sure that people who are listening know, because these are a lot of people in photos. So you mentioned Rich. That's Rich Frieda, who was freelance forever, for eternity. And now my understanding is now that he, he finally took the bait and went full time. Um, and there, and you mentioned Craig, are you talking about Craig Melvin or Craig Ambrosio? Ambrosio. Okay. There's the, the two Craigs and Frank is Frank Vitucci who came from pro wrestling illustrated. He was basically Bill Apter's assistant and then came over and was working in the photo department and, and publications for WWE. Yeah. And he, so and he started that. at the same time as you right around the same well, time. He's, he, he had me by, I think four or five months. Okay. Same year. Tom, it was the same year. The same. Yeah. Yeah. So he might have been in the spring of 2000. Yes. So then. Uh, no, Tom, I think. No, I think he's a little later than that, actually. A little late, a little later than that, because I started in February 2000 and he yeah, wasn't so there he, yet. Uh, so then, you know, it was probably around September, beginning of October. Tom had called my former coworker and said, hey, we're opening a staff position. Do you want it? And he just got married. And he's like, well, I, you know. I don't, I don't want to go on a plane and travel every week. And he walked up to me and I wasn't looking for another job. I mean, I was perfectly fine shooting hockey, but at that point, you know, early thirties, I'm like, I should really be making more money for the amount of work I'm getting published. And he came up to me quietly. He's like, Hey, Tom Buchanan just called. They're looking for a photographer. I don't want to travel. I just got married. Do you want to talk to him? I said, we'll give him my number. And so he we got back to Tom. I gave him, I was living with a couple of buddies of mine at the time. And uh, it was a Friday night. We were on the phone for about 45 minutes. He was, he was describing the job. And I'm like, no, I'm single. I don't have any tie downs. I don't have a girlfriend. I don't mind getting on a plane every week. And he said, put together a resume and a cover letter. Put my name on it so it gets pushed through human resources. And, um, you know, we could start the process. And now what he had told me was, WWF is going to put an ad in the New York Times next Sunday. And this is the crazy thing. So I used to get the daily news delivered to our house that Sunday morning. For whatever reason, the New York Times was delivered. So <laughs> what am I do? I read it. You know, I go through the help the classifies, and there's a huge ad for WWF photographer. I'm like, man, he said this was going to be next Sunday. So I go to work the next day, and a few of the guys are like, well, we'll help you put your resume together. We, you know, get out of here if you can take that job and. So if I, you know, if I would have, who knows if I got the daily news and it wasn't I, instead of the New York Times by accident and I held off on, you know, lollygagged and didn't put in my paperwork, you know, I may never have gotten a job. That's crazy. Yeah, because uh, I, yeah, mean, I tell people that story, how odd it was just the New York Times by accident gets delivered 
you know, two days later. And the ad is there when it was supposed to be in the next week. And that's how I found out about the copy editor job. That was my foot in the door. I mean, it was the simplest thing in the world. There happened to be an ad in, in the classified of the New York Times. My Actually, my ex-wife found it and pointed it out to me because we had just gotten married and I was looking for something a little more stable and you know regular and all this kind of thing. And it was the same thing. Big, giant WWF logo. And you're going like, wow, that's you don't see that every day in the New York Times classified. And that's how I got in there, too. Yeah, so I went up, went up, made a view with Human Resources, and they, you know, we gave the rundown of whatever. And then I said, uh, I think Tom, excuse me, Tom had popped in and was like, "You work six weeks, have a week off. That's how we'll do a rotation." Okay. And I mean, the last thing I asked was, you know, of course, it's the way I am, and I don't ask up front. And like right before they was walking out the doors, oh, what's the starting salary? <laughs> and a woman told me, I went, "Wait a minute, that's like." Five or six thousand more than I'm making now after ten years, and I won't have to come to the office because when I did the hockey, I, it was still the film days back then. I would process all the slide film and then go shoot a hockey game and then get back up and go to work at nine o'clock the next morning, do it all day, go maybe to Philly, take a train to the Garden, go to Nassau, Jersey, and I went for a second interview with Barry and Noel. Barry Werner and Noel uh, was sober at the time; she didn't, she wasn't married yet, right? And Barry's like, you do what every day? It's <laughs> <You know, laughs> like, I probably process like 50 to 60 roles, edit them, separate them, and give them to the editors. Or you don't have to do that here. And now I had a we had some good kids. Barry worked for the Daily News. Right. Barry Werner was had, the Daily uh, News sports editor before he came to WWE. Yeah, so he had, because then I went and, you know, I was still on the fence. I was still shooting a hockey game. You know, I didn't accept a job and get my notice. I was still covering hockey. And uh, Sherry Ross, who used to cover, the Devils, I think it was the Devils that arranged for the Daily News, but she was also a big wrestling fan. She quietly comes up to me and said, are you interviewing at WWF? I said, uh, yeah, why? I'm like, how does she know? She goes, I used to work with Barry Werner at the Daily News, and, and I told him very good things about you, about how well-liked you are, and how good of a person, you're an excellent photographer, and you know, I was like, oh, wow, thank you very much, and you know, sitting on, I was on the fence. You know, change is kind of di difficult when you're used to one thing, and talking to a few people, one of my best friend's brothers travel for work. He goes, as soon as you leave the door, they pay for everything. So you're actually making more money. You're not buying your food. You know, you know, like he went down the list of like what the comp companies pay for when you travel. I'm like, my dad's like, yeah, you know what? You're not going to be making this. This is a huge company. You know, everyone knew who they were in, in, in 2000. Between the Rock, China, Steve, you know, they were kings of the hill in entertainment. I'm like, yeah, I'll take the job. You know, I called him. I was like, yeah, I'm in. And I gave my notice. And uh, my boss, <laughs> I don't think he was too thrilled. Or I think he thought I was going backwards, shooting wrestling from hockey. I'm like, well, I mean, making more money. They have a 401k. They have full health benefits. It's, why wouldn't I? Then you know, they go, do you have a passport? I'm like, yeah, I've been to Canada and Europe, you know, shooting hockey tournaments. I, well, you might be going to England and Jamaica in the, in the first month of, uh, you're working there. I'm like, it's Jamaica for what? Oh, the swimsuit shoot. I'm like, excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> right. That was always you. You were like three, four weeks. On, I was down in Jamaica for, uh, you know, the, the divas shoot. I went right. for the last group. Yeah. You, you got to do those. And I like to joke around with people because I, I never got to go on one of those. And I know, you know, Barry had, I think Barry had this unwritten rule with the writers or the magazine guys that, you know, only 
unattached guys would get to go because he didn't want any funny business going on. Not that there would have been, but so I got stuck going to, I got stuck going to like to trips to Buffalo and Cleveland and, and Aaron (laughs) and those guys would get to go to hedonism and Jamaica and all the divas things. And I never got to go. Not even one time for those swimsuit things. Tracy Thomas was there working as a photo editor. Noel, of course, obviously ran everything. So it was, uh, yeah, that first year was crazy because I went with the last group. I flew down with one of the makeup artists. I did TV while and Tom and everybody else was shooting the first group. So the last three groups of girls, the, the last group of girls were China, Lita, and Deborah. And so we get there and you're just like, you're in Jamaica. I've never been there. It's, you know, whatever degrees, there's people walking around in all sorts of nothing or little, and then they should be fully clothed. And uh, we got to start at this time. <laughs> we got to start at this time in the morning and meet over here. And then it's running around and starting to meet more people from TV because, you know, from the studio that didn't come on the road every week. And it was uh, one of the producers kind of, he had a meltdown, I think, and he left. And it turned into uh, Jill going to the airport to make Jill, sure Jill okay. Clark. Clark. Tom sitting by the phone, you know, with the, you couldn't use your cell phones internationally back then. Sitting by the in the hotel room, he goes, "We're gonna have to shoot." I went, "What do you mean shoot?" I shot hockey. I never photographed a, a woman in a bikini, let alone a woman fully clothed. I'm an action photographer. <laughs> so Aaron is my assistant. Oh yes, he so told I, me about that. So yeah, going, read the, just look through the the previous magazines to get an idea of what you should do. So now the two of us now we're working. I think with a. First, it was with Lita, who was was new to that kind of photography. So her and me, like these two novices, uh, trying to you know get makes make stuff work. And and Rich and those guys like just do this, find this, look at this light, and then then they go, we need your room because uh, it's kind of centrally located to keep so the girls could change. I'm like, yeah, whatever. I said, no, I got to run and get something. I mean, there's nobody was in the room, but there were bathing suits <laughs> everywhere. I was like, what the hell did you? <laughs> <laughs> my room <laughs> so, no don't worry we'll clean everything up at the end so then it was a and i don't know if aaron mentioned any of this so it's deborah it was the sweetest sweetest woman you will ever meet in your life aaron and me wandering around trying to figure out where to go take pictures you know aaron and his you know he lollygags everywhere he's the mellowest human being ever <laughs> me in a panic that i'm shooting this stuff which i've never done and Deborah, who's just going along with whatever, you know, who she could have pulled, the, you know, the, the star card on us, but that's not who she was. We ended up taking this picture that was her eight by ten, and she mm. loved. She's like that's my favorite picture. It was like we called it the Alamo photo because it was in front of this stone wall that looked like the front of the Alamo. Yeah, I wonder if that. I think we used one of hers as the cover around that time for Raw magazine. I wonder if it was. Uh, no, no, one no, of those. No. Uh, and she, uh, I, you know what? I, I wish I would have kept some of the stuff. I didn't keep a lot of the photos because they, they became one of the, her. That was her promo photo for a while. Yeah, the bikini in front of this brick wall with a, you know, an arch in the background, and you know, like afterwards when it came, she's like, "That was my favorite photo." I'm like, "I don't even know what the hell I'm doing." So <laughs> thank you. Well, let me ask you this because, and you may not know this, if, you know, you were shooting it, but. When divas, when the whole divas thing started, because that's you know that's something that's dead and gone now, because the, you know the, oh, the the women are treated so differently now, and they're they're part of the roster, and it's a very different kind of thing. But back in the divas days, when they would have like divas shoots, divas videos, divas magazines, 
where did 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 that idea come out of publications or was it something that got dropped in Barry's lap? Because I because I, I, I always wondered like Tom did started. Barry come up with that or or what? I you know I think in you know Tom would always he was putting all those stories on Facebook with photos. You're friends with him on Facebook, right? Yes, I am. So he put his, you know, he's always he's a very good writer, and it's it, it, I like reading his stories because he's so well written. And he said, said basically it started with they took Sonny out one day before a show, before the internet was a big thing, and he was pushing AOL, and they posted these photos on AOL, and they were the most viewed or downloaded photos in the history, the early history of AOL. Yes. And I think they somehow, then Sable came around when she joined the company. And I think they did something with her at the beach before a show in Florida. And I think it morphed into like Tom maybe going to Barry or someone at TV saying, you know, let's do something with these women and and we'll make a, a video slash DVD and a special issue. I think, I think Tom really started the whole thing and brought it to Barry and, because I think the first magazine was the year before I started. Right. It was it here was, in the Dominican Republic. Yeah. And and do you know where they got the name Divas from? I no clue. Because uh, I I, had I, I always wondered if that was a Barry thing or if that was just something that, you know, that that marketing came up with or something like that. Yeah, I'm not sure. But uh I mean we did so we did that. Yeah, so it was Jamaica the first year. The year after um, we were in the Bahamas, and I think right before the shoot was supposed to start, the hurricane came through and did some damage to the hotel. Like the pool was filled with sand. They all had to hide in the basement. It was like one. And again, I came in at the tail end. I was just you know working as a photo assistant slash production guy. Um, and then the year after we did Arizona, and that was the infamous Aaron getting sick and not coming out of his room for like three days. <laughs> three days yeah apparently somebody vomited next to him on the plane the plane ride out to phoenix and then he disappeared and he would just give us he would hand money out the door (laughs) we needed for wherever we were going with uh we did a lot of off-site stuff phoenix was kind of different because obviously not a resort on the beach um so barry and i actually went and did a site survey we worked worked to deal whatever hotel we were outside of phoenix we went to a, a ghost town that was probably 30 minutes outside of town, which was awesome. Uh, set that up. We were supposed to use the pools in the outfield at the baseball stadium in Arizona. Uh, we went to a game. They gave us tickets. We met with people from the team. But then they made the playoffs. Hmm. And then we were told the league runs the building and they're not going to allow that. So we got, got squashed of that. The hotel was kind of small. We made it work. Uh, it was a lot of, we had a lot of fun. We, we did some off, a lot of offsite stuff. I think from what I remember hearing that Vince and Linda really loved it because it was completely different. It wasn't the beach. You were using the mountains of the Southwest United States, right. the whole Adobe look with the, uh, you know, the buildings. And it was fun. We had, we had a good time and Noelle wasn't there because she was about to have a, her, her daughter, right? Yeah. She, right. She had a daughter for her son. Yeah. Yeah, and for those that don't know, at that time, Noel was the head of the photo department. So yeah. on our, our end of things, yeah. But the, she, uh, so they left me in charge. I'm like, wait a minute, why? How am I in charge? Well, Noel can't be there, <laughs> so I was constant <laughs> communication with Barry. And uh, and when Aaron listens to this, he's probably going to get mad. But I was like, uh, Aaron's really not 
helping much at all. I know it was a little under the weather, but and then I get Barry called Aaron, and then he started showing up more. <laughs> right. And the classic line, if you remember Bubba Dean, the old backstage cameraman, started calling him Howard Hughes. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I do remember all that. Yeah, yeah Howard Hughes, how you feeling? Good to see you joining the uh, joining the shoot. You know, he's like, <laughs> <laughs> you know how Aaron was. <laughs> Now the the funny thing about when you started around that 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 time there, well, I mean not funny, but I mean just I guess maybe unexpected is Tom brought you in, Tom Buchanan, who we've been talking about, who was yeah. there, you know, from like the first WrestleMania, and then he was gone. What about a year later? Right, you guys overlapped by maybe a year, not that, even that, a year, uh, uh, ten months. Man, it was like right after SummerSlam in uh, San Jose, it was uh... SummerSlam two thousand one, right? Yeah, that we the San Jose was the whole uh, during the whole invasion thing, and, right? Because uh, I know you guys were at. I remember you. He brought you out to Houston Astrodome for WrestleMania yeah, that, that year. That was my first WrestleMania. 17. He was there for that, but then yeah, then he was gone not long after. Yeah, right, right after that that week after SummerSlam, I don't really know what went down. I just got a few phone calls. i hold. We that was we did a couple of live SmackDowns in a row. They were teasing, toying with the idea of live SmackDown. So Tom and I had split. He did the first one, which was in Salt Lake. Met up with him in San Jose for SummerSlam. We did Ron Sacramento. Tom flew home. I went to Denver, spent, you know, three days in Denver with like the whole, the entire crew up until that live, that live SmackDown in, in Denver, Colorado. And, uh, you know, got a phone call from that, mo- that morning from Barry, like, Call my my room. Nobody calls your hotel room unless it's something serious. And so I'm going right. Uh, this can't be good. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, I just want you know I'm on. Uh, we're in a panic situation. I'm on a speaker with uh, speaker with Noel. I'm like, uh, yeah. Uh, Tom's alone with the company. I'm like, what? <laughs> I don't know. Just sitting there. I just I gotten out of the shower in a towel. I'm sitting in the bed going. And now what do I, I don't what I don't really know what I'm supposed to do like just go to the show and don't say anything to anybody. I Meanwhile, you walk into the building and everyone's coming up to me like I don't know anything. You know I don't I haven't returned I haven't returned any phone calls. <laughs> you know yeah. they mentioned it in production meetings. I, they must have mentioned when I got let go because by like twelve fifteen twelve thirty of the day I got let go was a Friday and texts and phone calls and from people I wouldn't expect, but the you know, word started filtering around backstage. And I don't know if they mentioned it in the production office, production meeting, or how how it goes around. But I think like a list goes out with names that are no longer with the company. But most people don't know my last name, so I think a lot of road right. people. Well, who the hell's John Gium- John Giamatta? I was like Johnny Photo. Then are you are you for real? And you know, then I'm then all of a sudden the phone calls and text messages. Well, yeah, because I mean, you were, and I can say this because I was there for seven years. You were, you became an institution there. I mean, you don't have to say it about yourself because I know you might want to be modest, but, but you became an institution. Everybody knew who you were. Every wrestler on the roster, every person in the office, everybody, you know, and, and you even got, like we said, you got your own nickname. I mean, you got your own gimmick name. How many? No, no WWE I, photographer got that. Tom was there for 15 years, never got a name like that. Steve never got a name. You became Johnny Photo. Now, I think who gave it to you? Was it Brawler who gave you that name? No. So what happened was, it's funny. So what happened was we were 
I was, it was about three or four months into my uh, career and we were doing no way out of Las Vegas. And I think it was the first show the company was doing in Vegas in a long time, or I don't know what the story was, but everyone was excited about going to Las Vegas. So what happened, they were doing load in and the night, two nights before or whatever it was, we flew in early and Tom goes, well, go there and set up the, the photo strobes and the truss. I'll be there the next day or whatever. And so someone was having a party at a club. I don't know what was going on. And I'm talking with Mark Carano. I said, I got to work in the building. Uh, let me know where you're going to be. So as he goes into his phone, he goes, uh, you know, I'll just put Johnny photo because there's so many Johns in my phone. And I think maybe Jimmy Corderas or Mike Kyoto was standing there like Johnny photo. That's good. And then it just took off. The boys started hearing it. All the crew, Chimmel, all those guys, then it all became, you know, Johnny photo and, and through amongst the crew. Right, because we got the word even at the office, like it trickled back to the office somehow. <laughs> yeah. Somehow we found out. It took we on a like, life of its own, you know. It was, yeah, it was every, weird. Every, and we the heard it. started calling me that, and it was, and we were going to was a, a year later when we did those first shows, and, and we went back to Japan, and we did uh, Yokohama, Singapore, and, and Kuala Lumpur. So we're all traveling together, and. Like the Hebners would call me, Johnny Photo, Johnny with that Southern accent. So now we we were on the East Coast doing TV, private plane to L.A., spent the day in L.A. So I was hung out with the crew guys. You know, it was just me. So I was like the referee slash crew. So I would hang out with Chimmel, Kyoto, the Hebners. Like the Hebners took me under their wing and made sure I was everything was cool and I was always taken care of and not messed with. Because I, I think my, my second week, Tom sent me to do a, take pictures of them for a magazine story. And we went across, we were in Rochester and we went across the street, took a picture of them in front of one of the trailers with the logo. I think that became their eight by 10. It was like the Hebner brothers. I remember that story. Yeah. But, uh, Excuse me. You know, they we ended up, story, you know, they, they took a liking to me and, and I, everyone knew I respected the business. I respected the talent. I kept my mouth shut. I just did my thing, kept to myself, shot the show. And, you know, we went up, we went back to the hotel. But everybody kept calling me photo, you know, and then the Hebners just cut it to photo. So we're, I think we're getting on the plane or we're all waiting to waiting to board. And it was, it was Edge or, or maybe it was Helms. I forget which one, you know, Gregory Helms. The, the hurricane, I think, was taken off at that point in 2002. I think he started yep. during the invasion. Yeah, that's about the time frame. Home. And so they're like, they thought they was calling me Frodo. You know, Lord of the Rings now was out and it was the huge <laughs> thing. The Lord of the Rings movies. And they're like, are they calling you Johnny Frodo? Like, it's like from the Lord of the Rings? Because, because they couldn't, I guess they couldn't understand Earl and Dave with their Southern accent. <laughs> so, well, I, I remember Callie no, calling Frodo, you that. I'm the photographer. They're like, oh, do you have furry feet? And it's like, take your socks off. We want to see, do you have furry feet? And then, you know, Edge, Edge, Christian and, and uh, Hurricane, you would start working me over with, with that. And by the time we got to the end of the tour, with so many people calling me that Shane was on the tour, Shane McMahon is like Johnny Photo and just shakes his <laughs> shakes his head. I think and that's like, that how it on is when it took off. Right. I think that's how it got to us. I think it was through Shane because Shane would then come back to the office and we got word like, oh, oh, John Giamondo. Okay, so he's Johnny Photo now. All right. Well, I guess we'll have to take note of that. Um, but. <laughs> I yeah, wanted to was, uh, Jeff Hardy too. We we, were, we Jeff Jeff and uh, I know we had some crazy seven hour layover coming back from Malaysia. 
seven hour layover thing in Singapore, then Singapore to like LA, LA. It was just this crazy travel. And Jeff was just sitting there hanging out. And Jeff goes, Why do they call you Johnny Photo? I said, Jeff, because I'm the photographer. <laughs> he goes, That's pretty cool. And he just nodded, nodded his head. <laughs> that was it. I went, yeah, Jeff's uh, he's an interesting, <laughs> good dude, interesting character for sure. <laughs> yeah, he is. He is. I, I want to ask you a few things that I, I was. I, I want to make sure I ask before we while we still have time and when we have a lot of time, but because I've had photographers on here, wrestling photographers, but you're the well, there I had Tom, but uh, you know, it's unique to have somebody that shot within the WWE bubble. You know, it's very different from talking to somebody like a Bill Aptor or George Napolitano or people like that, because you were you were inside and there's things that are very different about the work that you do. Like one thing I want people to understand because you keep mentioning strobes. This is something that blew me away that I had no idea about. And Tom actually once explained it to me in detail and I probably have it all wrong and you'll correct me. But for people that always wonder like why in the world do the WWE official photos always look so much better than anything you'll see? No offense to the other wrestling magazines and publications, especially at the time. Why is it? Now, of course, one reason is that our photographers were immensely talented like you, John. But another reason is because of the strobes. And Tom, the way Tom explained it to me was that it's rigged up so that anytime he snaps a picture, right, these lights go off, but they go off so quickly that when you're watching the show as a fan or a viewer, like you can't tell, it's just super quick and it illuminates yeah. the wrestlers even more than usual. And so you get this beautifully lit shot, right? Yeah. So I couldn't, uh, so basically it's a giant flash. So instead of having a flash on your camera, they're up in the uh, years back, they would have them in the catwalks of the arena. Because I remember Steve telling me, well, when I was a photographer, I had to get there in the morning, I'd set the strobes up, I'd go all the way up into the catwalk set them up, come down, set up the studio, shoot studio, go out and shoot the show, then break everything. <laughs> it was like, you know, because we had some people, when I started, we had somebody setting them up in the morning and taking them down. We would test them. So the giant flashes and Tom created the system when they were, they were in the lighting truss with the way everything was powered through or the, the TV lights through their rig and there'd be a receiver and we'd have a transmitter attached to the camera and we'd take a picture as long as everything was working correctly you take a picture the strobes would pop and you can only take one and you got to wait about three seconds to take another one so when you see somebody flying through there you're catching that you know like that and then you have to wait so you have to really time get the timing down to catch the guys or the girls you know in midair or you know like make getting thrown off the cell and you're catching you get to one frame to catch him, you know, 25 feet before he goes down and goes through the table. And then, you know, you have to wait three seconds to take another one. But yeah, they were probably, I mean, I probably a thousand times stronger than, than the lights in the ring, which were made for TV. So we would always have this, we always have this problem with the TV people. Why do you need them? We have the best lighting. And it may even Vince, we have the best lighting that we can possibly have for a TV show. And we had even, even Vince would say that Vince would even say that himself. Well, I think some people want to know why the crowd went dark. Mm. That was an issue with some some people. Like, well, it looks like you're in a gym. It's just, well, focusing on the talent. Like Noel would always say, the focus is the talent, not the guy in section 135. They stand out. 
but people on the TV and want the spectacle. So we want to see the entire arena lit. So then uh, year, years later, and then we started adding lights and lighting the crowd, you know, subtly. So they, they were a little less bright than the ring, but it wasn't going black because they right. got all over our case. But they didn't, you know, they didn't understand. They don't understand our world. And Vince was like, we have the best lighting, but that's the best lighting for television. It's completely different than lighting for photography. But now and, with the advent of digital cameras and we've gotten, they we took the strobes down probably about three or four years ago. So the so the strobes then, I guess, like you just said, they, they're not even used anymore. I didn't even know that. No, they took them down. We were having some glitches. There were some problems. Uh, I think some people didn't want to wake up in the morning because we were setting them up. <laughs> they didn't want to set them up anymore. Um, the, with the digital cameras, the quality of the photos were a lot better. And I think then the argument went to, we don't shoot WrestleMania with them because you couldn't have enough strobes to light a stadium. Right. So we used them up. I think we used strobes at WrestleMania up until maybe Miami um, for outside and in a stadium. And then it was raining and we had to unplug them. So nobody, <laughs> you know, we didn't want any issues. And then we said, you know, let's just go available light for WrestleManias. And they said, well, if we use, if it's fine for WrestleMania, it should be fine for every other Raw and SmackDown. So that's mm -hmm. when the strobes were eliminated. And uh, I didn't really like that look so much, to be honest with you, because uh, I like the strobe look. It's crisp. Yeah. The image is a lot sharper. And it also, like I was saying, it makes WWE stuff look a cut above from whatever anybody else might be shooting, yeah. you know, which I think should be part of the goal too, you know? But yeah, the other really, really different look, I mean, that was a stretch where they, when we, the company went HD and they wanted us out from ringside, you just right. didn't want to see anybody. And that's when they got rid of all the Japanese photographers and guys poor like George. Poor George. Right. And I, who I talked and to about. Was, well, HD, we don't, you know, they never wanted them. A certain someone never wanted them there. Yes, but we know, we know who that is. We know. Vin, so, Vin, so Vince, Vince did, did because he wanted the spectacle. Hey. Look at all these people coming and shooting wrestling. That's it. I, you know, that's so gratifying to hear that Vince actually did go for that because there's a lot of fans who say that. It's like, why would you not want to have photographers shooting? It looks like it's important when you have guys out there shooting. It looks like a boxing match or, a, you know, a sporting event or something like. But I guess the opposing view, whoever holds that view, is more like it's like the circus or like uh, – you know, you don't have uh, photographers running around shooting the, you know, the events where the fans could see them. So they're looking at it, like you said, like a spectacle and not as a sporting event. But I think, look, and you're not there anymore, so I could say it, but it looks so antiseptic and weird and alien when yeah. there's no one there. It's like the wrestlers, the, the the they're just running around, especially when they go outside and it's just a wasteland. You, you can't really... There, there, you know, you know, used to watch a wrestling show, even a WWF show, and there were people bustling around the ring. You felt like there was stuff going on. And here it just yeah. feels like they're on a stage, like on a, at a Broadway show or something, you know? Yeah, it felt bad when we had to tell all those guys, you know, you can't, yeah. you can't be here anymore. Because they got let back in because, as everybody knows, like in the 80s, they initially got kicked out when WWF magazine was starting. And then in the 90s, they started letting them back in again. And then all of a sudden they tell them, well, you're gone again. And I know for you, the challenge for someone like you 
is you also have to now obviously they're letting you go there because you work for the company but now you have right all these restrictions of where you can stand where you could go like before hd were you allowed to kind of go where you wanted or did you have what restrictions yeah, did still, you have we were still restricted with you know it was it's a dance with the cameraman right we were still but the, the way if you look at any old before high def camera three the camera three shot which was on the entrance side for people that are you know unfamiliar they would shoot the entrance then turn shoot the ring he was standing on the side closest to the hard camera so he was on the right side of the ring um if you were at the entrance looking out if you're at the hard camera he's on the left so he you always saw tom in the background yes camera three so they didn't want to see that anymore so we were having all these conversations and it was well, if we could stand up next to camera four, which was the guy in front of the announce table, so we had to move the ring steps. We had to move the ring steps to the back corner, which they were always in the front corner of the ring, so we could stand there next to the cameraman. Yeah, so, it was, like you said, it was like a dance you've got to do. And I always remember, and obviously my kids laugh because this would be like a running joke, I'll tell you now. But because I know you and because I know what you look like and I worked with you, anytime I would watch a WWE show, especially if it was like a big show and I knew you were there, I would always try to spot you. It was always like a challenge because <laughs> they tried, you'd be tucked away in your little kind of corner where they'd keep you, you know, but you're behind the TV guy. And every now and then I'd go, Oh, there's Johnny photo. And my kids would, would, would go to me. Hey, did you spot Johnny photo yet? Cause it was like a running gag of like, can I spot Johnny photo shooting yeah. ringside? People like, oh, you're doing a good job. I'm like, I don't know. I mean, a few times you get in the way. This, what can you do? You're in a, it's a, it's a finite space. Right. You right. Run and, like you're on a football sideline. You can run pretty far to get out of the way. There's nowhere to go. So see, you might get in the way. Stuff's going crazy. Talent's running around. They do, cameraman goes quick to the right and AR. What are you going to do? Did it get frustrating, though, where, like, there's something that you would be dying to get a shot of, but you can't because you're stuck and you can't move? Yes. And I was actually explaining to somebody uh, recently, the, the office go, well, how, we saw that on TV. How come you didn't get it? Like, that's why you saw it on TV. The cameraman's standing there. It was, yeah, it was so frustrating. It, very frustrating because people in the office uh, – well, I don't understand and we would hear it. You know, I think I, I would think at one point before my time, they brought in Sports Illustrated photographers. Oh, no. Because they, they felt that, uh, I remember Rich told me a story, like Tom and Rich uh, weren't doing a good enough job. And then they brought these guys in and they were awful. <laughs> not awful, but you can't just throw. And like when I would train people, I said, you're not on the first in the first base photo box at Yankee Stadium. This is a TV show first. Right. It's a production company. That's where they make all their money on television. So it's that comes first. So although Vince wants to see stuff, the photos, and you know, Vince is big on photos, as you and I both know. He he's he loves he'll bring up classic photos in meetings we've had. Yes, I've heard him do kind that. Of, uh, kind of take take it when he's telling you stuff that you can't tell him. Well, and I said to him once, Can you remove the ringside cameraman? And he just, you know, he gave me that look of the <laughs> One time, because he wants to kill me, but he's just gonna tell. But, but you're right; he would love to bring up the like specific classic photos. And I remember one time, because I think Shane was there too, because Shane would be like the go-between, where they were we they were talking about the action photography. I don't know if you ever heard this, but 
So, so they were talking about like, we want to see the impact. We want to see like sweat flying off and this and that. And Vince brings up, you know, the famous picture of Carmen Basilio, the fighter. We're like, yeah, we're like his face is just getting. He brought that up. He brought that up to us too in a meeting. There you go. So he brought up that picture, you know, Carmen Basilio. And, and he, and he brought it up. And I knew because my, you know, my grandfather was a fighter. And I said, I don't know if I said it. I don't know if I would have had the balls to say it or somebody said it, actually said it, something to the effect of, and I think they directed it at Shane because they were afraid to direct it at Vince. They were like, yeah, but the difference there is they're actually trying to hit each other really hard and, (laughs) and we're in the business of illusion. So like, the guys are trying not to hurt each other. So, you know, you try to make it look as good as you can, but we can't show an impact of a fist smashing a guy's face because, you know, God God willing, that's not going to happen in a match unless somebody screwed up, you know? Yeah, we had uh we had a crazy meeting with with Vince and I'm I'm sure you remember this one. Uh we were on the road. It was so we had that first ECW one night stand at the Manhattan Center and then we did Raw and Binghamton. So at one point, like the, it, Rich and it Gunner, Rich and Dave were ringside. I was running around shooting all different stuff. And we saw the pictures, like you guys killed it. All the the fans, the action, the crazy stuff they were doing in that show. So the next day, somebody comes up to us and says, oh, Vince wants to have a meeting with you guys. So we're like, uh, all right, this can't be good. He said, <laughs> I don't think he ever called a meeting where he was, was praising us. <laughs> <You know? laughs> So the, there's the three of us did the whole loop together. It's you, David Gunn, and who else? And, and Rich. Rich Frieda, okay. And uh, so he's like, you guys got to step it up. And, you know, we'll go, what do you mean? Like, So we're thinking, man, he can't be talking about the one-night stand photos. They were on the web. They're awesome stuff. And we're like, excuse me, what do you mean, sir? And it had nothing to do with action stuff. It was... Um, it was one creative was taken over by the the skinny jeans group of guys, <laughs> if you will, the all the uh, the dog and pony show group. Are you talking um, about the ma- when the magazine got taken over? No, no, creative services. Oh, create. Oh, yes, that was a whole other coup that happened. So they yeah, ran. Right. They right, ran right, a right. photo shoot with their own photographer for that SummerSlam. It was the car wash theme. Oh, yes. Yes, I remember. Raw and SmackDown Magazine at that point. It wasn't the WWF Raw. Like, one was storyline. One was, you know, like the show Confidential, where it was more personal behind the scenes about the talent. They did the brand split magazine. Mm -hmm. I think one of the girls was uh, with the wrong group. Uh, Candace, maybe. And so he said that. And I said, I I don't really mean, I don't want to interrupt you, uh, Vince, but we we weren't there for that. He didn't know what to do. He was like, and then, you know, somebody else said, uh, the new head of creative hired their own photographer. <laughs> so he's like, okay, then. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I then vaguely he remember. All the crazy stuff about what we should be doing. And that was that stretch where they were, uh, they were all over us for everything. It was like, we were, we were under the spotlight. Yeah. At the time for about six or seven months, like we couldn't do anything right. Yep, that happens when you're there. That's so true. It's like you they put you on like a away. wheel of fire. 
right? Yeah. You have to survive this like period where all of a sudden, right, everything you do is terrible, and then they just forget and move on to somebody else or some other they, department. They went Very to department, and uh, the guys in backstage lighting would go. I think they rotate between you guys and us. <laughs> you know, they decide that whatever, the, however they light anything backstage is bad, and whatever you guys photograph is bad. And it was like we had to take a like a proactive approach to shooting ringside. And it was like, I went to the director and I went to Kevin and it was, Kevin's like, I get it. And the director's like, we understand, but stay out of the way. I said, did you hear what I just said? This is like from Vince, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, we're obviously not going to stand in front of camera three and ruin a TV shot, but we need to be allowed more latitude. And I think at one point somebody told us, Vince said, well, these guys must be getting a job done. Cause I see them on TV all the time, but he didn't care. The thing right. was, Vince didn't care about seeing the photographers in the background. Hated seeing the cameramen. Didn't care about seeing us. That I understand, because I've heard Vince talk about, I've heard people also talk about Vince talking about the TV cameraman idea being like, you know, you want it to be magic. You don't want people to be thinking about how the show is made. You don't want them to be seeing the people that are filming the show. But the still photographers are different, because to me, and I know it sounds like to you and maybe even to Vince and other people, the still photographers, not that you're not, you know, playing a character or anything, but the still photographers should be part of the product. The fact that they're there at ringside snapping pictures away is part of the presentation. Like, this is a cool thing that's happening. Right. This is an event. This is like something, you know, right. I mean, God, how many of us longtime wrestling fans before the days of all this, you're watching like an old school wrestling match. And you go, oh, there's Bill After and Craig Peters. Oh, wow. Yeah, there they Oh, there's George Napolitano running around. Wow. That's it's like it, it's nostalgic. You know, you recognize the guys. It's it's almost oh, yeah. part of it. And even one of the cameramen said to me, he goes, I don't know why they would want to move you guys around. Is he not seeing the ropes? It feels like it's the people who are looking at these photos like they're in the ring, which is the same as the ringside cameraman. You, you it right. gives you the, the 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 effect or the appearance of you're watching at home, but you're in the ring with these guys there's not ropes and there's not like a barrack a barrier yeah and I, I, are. I know that in you know in the world of, of wrestling photography and even boxing photography like the idea of the shot that is between the ropes you know is much more valuable than any shot where you see ropes in the shot i mean that's what yeah. you want you don't want to see ropes in the shot if you can help it all right we hate we hated that yeah so anyway, oh, wait a minute. I know what we wanted to start with. <laughs> Aaron with the NWO stories. Oh, God. So yeah. Let's uh, let me refute. I mean, if, if anybody remembers what Aaron said in his interview about the limousine. OK. Yes. Yeah, so Aaron, uh, who I had on here, Aaron yeah. Feigenbaum, Aaron Williams. Right. He talked about the NWO, the black and white photo shoot that we did, which was phenomenal in raw magazine 70, with 70, 72 hours 72 right hours yeah so, everybody loved it so everybody i guess what he said we got a limo so so what actually happened was we were supposed to get the largest suv we could find to drive hulk kevin and scott around it was aaron the five of us and i think aaron got into town before me and they didn't have the biggest suv available i don't know if the suburban or whatever it was back then we had to get one smaller. So Sunday morning, we're in Milwaukee. We meet up with the guys. They're having breakfast. We go to the gym with them. So now we're, uh, we're you know, Milwaukee. We always at the hotel 
across the street from the building. Yeah. At Hyatt. And so we all get in, I'm driving. And uh, so <laughs> we don't even leave. And Kevin's in, Kevin is in the front seat and he learns, he goes, put your seatbelt on. I, excuse me. He goes, I'm not going anywhere until you put your seatbelt on. I'm like, uh, yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> he was, you're wearing your seatbelt if you're driving us around. Now we get to a point, we're just not going to be able to do four days in this car. It's just, it's not big enough with all right. the bags and, 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 you know, camp, my, you know, having a camera bag, which I normally didn't travel with. It went on the trucks. So we got to the building. We, we said to Shane, look, uh, we did the, the biggest SUV wasn't available. And I, I don't think we're going to be able to make this drive comfortably. He goes, I will right, we'll just get a limo. So people thought, cause now they pull up in a limo, a limo pulls up. And every all the boys, you know, at that point, you know what it was like with these three guys coming back, especially yeah. the WCW guys. Yeah, like, locker locker room cancer was what everybody was saying. Yeah, yeah. or I mean, yeah. and like I told my friends on the show last week, you know, Scott and Kevin, uh, Steve Austin and Kevin were tight, so they Steve kind of squashed a lot of anger that was going on because he's he's he did a lot, spent a lot of time with Kevin shooting shit backstage. No, I didn't uh, know so that. Speak, yeah. Um. Because I, I I didn't know that I don't know that personal relationship I don't know Steve and Kevin were pretty tight I guess because I know Steve was yeah. no fan of Hogan and I don't think he was a huge yeah. fan of Scott Hall either so it's yeah and that's what like my friends were like how was uh, Steve with Hogan I said I don't really remember seeing them together at all yeah but Kevin and Steve spent a lot of time together leading up to that because they were in L.A. the month before shooting scans for uh, 2K. Like they were brought backstage, like they were brought in, did scans and split. And I guess maybe Kevin can't, they, everybody saw them and then word started going what was going on. But, uh, hmm. I remember Steve and Kevin backstage talk, you know, spent a lot of time catching up. And I think that might've calmed some things down. I mean, to what effect, I don't know, but everything, I mean, you knew that with tension, you, you were there and interviewed all the WCW guys that told the stories about what it was like back then. Yeah. But, uh, so I said, so going to more of the funnier stuff for the that I'm sure I don't know if Aaron to like 98% of what they told us was off the record. <laughs> so yes. didn't even make the magazine, you know, and how they uh how they BS their way into more money. I mean, it was comical to listen to these guys talk. And growing up a wrestling fan, like there's Hogan, like, you know, at our, at our age range, like you and you were a fan, it's like holy cow, you know, now here he is. I'm driving in a car all over, you know for the next three days i'm spending with freaking hulk hogan uh but i said aaron we should probably uh make sure we have beer in the car for these guys so we sent the runner around for a cooler and a case of beer or whatever and uh, we're about to leave and hogan hogan goes oh, we're gonna have to get some adult beverages i'm like i don't worry i already took care of that he, like puts his arm on my shoulder brother i think we're gonna get along <laughs> <laughs> my guy made it so we were, uh, I, I think Aaron did tell the story when we pulled over in, a, in the parking lot of an office building because we all had to go to the bathroom. Yes, he did. Yeah. <laughs> famous Scott Hall line. <laughs> right. About not leaving junior high school. Right. Was that the thing? Oh, just that white trash. Doesn't matter how much money we have. We're oh, all right. just trash. <laughs> right. 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 We're five all of us are in the parking trash. lot because we're all drinking together. All five of us are drinking and they're telling stories. And it's like, what am I going to take pictures of in a dark limo? So I'm just along for the ride in between <laughs> cities. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that was fun. And another one with Hogan was, God, we were doing SummerSlam the years in L.A. We were at Staples for like five or six years in a row, I think. Yeah. And he'd come back again, and we did a media tour all over L.A. So it was him, me, and one of the PR guys. And we go to a radio station. We go to some TV station. And he goes, oh, I'm hungry. We're like, oh, there's a Denny's. 
<laughs> we get the car. We're in a big SUV. Pull us in, and I'm just looking at uh, the PR guy. I go, did you ever think you'd be walking into Denny's and having breakfast with Hulk Hogan when you were a kid? So, of course, now everybody stops. He's in full gimmick. The do-rag, the Hulkamania shirt. Uh, table for three, please. <laughs> and then we're talking, he's telling us stories, you know, from back in the day and what young guys who he thinks is good or not or asking us our opinion of some guys in NXT because he's watching it. And I was like, it was another one of those days where you're a kid and you would never, like when I shot hockey, I would never imagine I'm in the Stanley Cup locker room. Never imagine hanging out with Hulk, spending a day with Hulk Hogan, and, like as a peer. Yeah. Not, that's the way it was. And it was the same as, uh, I mean, I, I don't know if you remember the story, but when, you know, Edge had to retire. Yes. And uh, he would did the Europe tour because back then after WrestleMania, you, the next week we went to Europe for two weeks. And he wanted to say goodbye to the European fans. You know, here he announced his, uh, his, he had to retire in Albany after week after Mania. And uh, he's like, no, I'm going to come on the tour. And I, I knew he, I heard or read that he was a big Beatles fan. And we were in Liverpool. I said, hey, you want to go out for the day? Just you and me. We'll, we'll see if they can get us a car. And we'll have somebody take us around. So we went to the museum. That was just the two of us. No TV, nobody else. Just, you know, Adam, Copeland, and me. And talking to, a little bit of wrestling everything else was just life and we somehow stumble upon Ringo Starr's childhood home and it, it was just sort of bizarre the guy brings us to his bar this pub where they hang out or they did and we're like all right well it's closed so why are we here what are we gonna do here there's no pictures to be made and this guy comes out from this row of houses like Queens the row of houses yeah in Brooklyn and uh Edge oh my goodness and now we start, the guy recognizes Adam and we start talking. He goes, oh, you know, Ringo, Ringo Starr's child at home is right there. We're like, really? Well, let's go check it out. So <laughs> Edge, me and the driver and the guy. So this old lady lives in the house. Knock on the door. As a WWE wrestler, he's a big Beatles fan. And I told him, so we go in and she's got pictures of everything, like his whole life all over the walls. And it turns out now she charges money because then I had to give her some money. And the guy's like, ah. well, you know, she's kind of like, uh, why are you taking so many pictures? It's <laughs> giving me shit. So I, you know, they gave me cash. I gave her a bunch of a few bills. I don't even know what it, what it amounted to. But uh, and she was just telling us the stories about his childhood. Like she bought the house after they moved and made pretty much made it like a museum. Like she lives there, but if people know they let her, she'll let them in take pictures of all the photos on the walls and tell stories. You know, we went to Penny Lane. We went, you know, we went everywhere. Yeah. And it was just a day to, to two guys. And I we would talk to him years later when he came back. I said, I tell you what, Adam, that was like one of the most fun days I ever had. He goes, me too, man. It was just, we was talking about Zack Ryder and, and, you know, Kurt Hawkins and Brian Myers and Matt. They were, you know, they were the edge heads at that point and then going on their own. And, he was putting them over. He goes, hey, talented guys. I, I think they're going to make it. I really enjoy. They have a love for the business. And he goes, and then as, as odd as it turns out, we run it as we're going into the museum. These people that are friends with Matt's parents <laughs> are coming out of the Beatles museum. And they know him like, we're Matt, we're, we're good friends with Matt Cardona's, uh, Zach Ryder's parents. We grew up together on Long Island. <laughs> so we started this conversation with them. And uh, it was like one of those days I had nothing really to do with wrestling. Everything's connected, though, isn't it crazy? And yeah. when I went to the one time that I went on on one of the UK trips 
when they would go to Manchester, I went. I think it was 06. It was one, it was right before my last year there. And I did the same thing. I got to Manchester. I had like a, a day where there was nothing going on, like an in-between yeah. day. And the first thing I thought of, because I looked at a map, I was like, I'm going to Liverpool. I'm going to spend the afternoon in Liverpool. And I went there, saw the cavern and all that stuff. Like you said, they have those row houses. And it does. It looks like, you know, you're in Brooklyn or Queens. Yeah, I was remember I think one of the one of those live event tours, and we were in Liverpool, and they hadn't the city's really built up a lot more than it was probably fifteen years ago. But we went to the Cavern Club. It was, yep, Kofi was where it was Kofi Hornswoggle, me, Chimmel was with us, Tony Chimmel, and uh, excuse me, I think one of the merch guys and a referee. And we went down. We were actually having a, you know we all had a pint. A band was playing. I was like, where else can you do <laughs> do this? I'm working for this company. You're on these I wacky know. tours and you find two or three hours somewhere in the world to go see the sites and then get back, get the, get the talent back to the building. Uh, you know, it was, those were always a lot of fun. They were a grind, but they're a lot of fun. I mean, to get paid to travel around the world, you know, go to Rome, go in a day early and spend a day walking around Rome or somewhere mm-hmm. anywhere else in Italy or London or even Moscow. We did that show in Moscow. We flew in early and one of the merch guys to me were uh, walking around through the red square. It was like, would ever think a goof from Toronto and a goof from, you know, little East Northport, Long Island, New York, wander around the Red Square when, they, you know, our countries wanted to blow each other up. That's how we grew up. And now we're walking around taking pictures, looking at all this. It's crazy, to, you know, to think of going to school to be a photographer. I really had no desire to, to work for WWF. It happened by accident. And, uh, you know, it was a great, it was a lot of fun, you know, it didn't end the way I wanted it to, but it was, uh, you know, a lot of great experiences and to travel the world and, you know, be with, being around guys like Undertaker and, and seeing how they operate as a professional was, uh, was pretty amazing. You know, I, I can't complain really about, we had some, you know, as you know, some wacky stuff went on in our departments. We got bounced around. Yes, I know. Uh, and department to department and every, you know, every year was, oh, they're getting rid of us and, you know, we survived and, and until I couldn't survive anymore. <laughs> well, everybody, everybody seems to have a shelf life there, but I have to say for you, I mean, good Lord, 20 years, 21 years. What was it? 22? Uh, 21 and a half, 22 WrestleManias. Uh, we are counting the COVID one. That was my 20th WrestleMania because those matches are in the book. So it counts as a WrestleMania. <laughs> well, you were there shooting, right? I mean, and, um, and that was bizarre. It's because the year before we were at MetLife. And then we're in a warehouse with no very, fans. very different. And yeah, and I think Frank, COVID. I think Frank Fatucci is going to outlast everybody. He's going to be there when when they're closing the building down and everybody's you know going home and the company's been been shut down. He'll be he'll be there packing up his boxes. Yeah, yeah it's possible. He's amazing. <laughs> He's the last the last Barry Werner hire, I believe. I'm pretty positive is Frank, who's still there, and now he's oh, head yeah. of photo he's been head for a long time now yeah well frank is great he knows where everything is uh, and to be honest with you one of the one of the few people he and i were probably two of the few people that would answer an email or a phone call immediately no matter when what time of the day what day of the week because i had guys that were new photo as a there's anybody that get, that replies faster to an email than you in this company i said uh, unfortunately that's kind of the way they condition you Right. No, yeah, you're right. I, and I know like WWE, I always, and then maybe find some time for your personal life. Well, you that's know? that's the downside of it. But but those moments you talk about, they're so true where you just step back like you were talking about with Hogan going to the Denny's like 
you know, and I know, look, I, I know we're, we're out of time pretty much, but we could do a whole other show about this because I'm thinking about even the, the few times that we did stuff together, because one of the things that comes to my mind about, like, did you ever think this would happen is when we did the thing with Mr. Perfect and the Big Boss Man. And I'm, you know, well, we're Mr. Perfect and the Big Boss Man came around to have a couple right. of drinks. Big Boss <laughs> Man came to afternoon. drink, but the Big Boss Man was there. And so yeah. you get this thing where, you know, we're driving around uh, Cleveland, I think it was. And I think yeah. you were you were driving, I think. And I'm in the front with you. And Kurt Hennig and Ray Trailer, the boss man, are in the back seat. And they're just giggling like kids and just telling weird stories. They're talking about, you know, the ultimate warrior, you know, being a, a, an asshole and just whatever they wanted to talk about. <laughs> and that's where one of those things where you're going like, I'm riding in a rental car in Cleveland with Mr. Perfect and the big boss man in the backseat. Like this is not, you know, something I saw happening down the road for me at any point. You know? And then saying, guys, we really need to get you back to the building. Or right. <laughs> Because, you know, right. the old school guys weren't used to, uh, they didn't work in in the day of, every, of the talent at the building at one. Right. And they can't leave. Because, because they because they weren't doing as much TV stuff, segments and things. It was more just do your match, you know? Yeah. So like, what do you mean we have to go back? I said, you know, and then it was what, when the NWO came back and Hogan goes, I don't really, and those guys like, I don't get this whole walk in the building at one and sit there all day. So they would go out and sit in the limo and who knows, they were probably drinking. Cause they treated Kevin it. And Ho Hogan. And then they came back in for when they had to work. And I'm like, dude, that's the way it is, man. It's when I, I started with the big talent all come into the building. It was a live TV show. Right, because Vince was treating it at that point and still does like when you're shooting a movie and you want your your whole cast has got to be there all day. Even if you only need them for 10 minutes, you got to make sure if you need them that they're there. And that, that's the way they treated it. But, you know, and it was different. Set, the crew was set up and then you're sitting around for five or six hours waiting to do something. Then they go, well, how come you're sitting around? Like, well, it's 2.30 in the afternoon. There's nothing. Nobody's dressed. Man, and Vince's like, well, how come you're taking pictures of the girls now? I'm like. You know, I want to text them to get ready. And then he would give me a look like I was crazy. I'm like, well, right. you have a wife, don't you? I mean, how long does it take her to get ready when you go out? I, thought he was, when I said that to him. That's a look game. I'm like, you know, sometimes I would just say this shit to him. Like, I mean, I've been here long enough. Right. You know, either he's going to just fire me on the spot. He's, he's just going to give me that look and shake his head. Because he did that a couple of times with me. And uh, in fact, one last story with the name. Because he don't like if you weren't a worker, you couldn't have a gimmick name. Right, right. So we I think we were up in Toronto and I walk in the building. I think I flew up that morning and I had Mark Yaton come up and, and grab my credential, the office pass, because I would wear that with my build it in my L Access pass. What's your last name? I'm like, why? And he's looking at me, he goes, because we were in a meeting and uh Vince said we have to make sure Steve gets pictures. You know, with the Molsons, you know, he always did the beer gimmick after the bra went off the air. And uh, so they could make prints and send them to the president of Molson uh, Canadian beer or whatever. And they were like, well, it's John. Uh, so he wanted to know my last name. And they were all, <laughs> swear to God, what they told me was they all looked at each other like, well, we call him Johnny Photo. He's like, and they, they, they go, Vince made the face. He's like, you tell Johnny Photo, he better get a picture of Steve Austin smashing the Molson beer cans together. He's in trouble. <laughs> and I'm like, even the writers, like, dude, we all looked at each other. I was like, we do not know his last name. Everybody knows him as Johnny Photo, and that's it. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, even though he never called me that, I think everybody in the company, including him, used the name. <laughs>
because Stephanie would call me that. Shane would call me that. JR would, and, and some comment he wanted something. He's like, have Johnny Photo do it. <laughs> oh, JR's putting over the name. <laughs> right. You you and Howie, the mail, the mail guy, he would mention from time to time. Who's next? Howie from the mail room? And he would say that. And Howie, who was the sweetest man. But yeah, he was. Um, so John Giamundo, for people that we, we need to reinforce, is your name, is your, that's the name your parents gave you. That is my given but, name. Yeah, I think Rick, uh, Rick Flair, when he found out my last name, he asked me if I was in the Sopranos. <laughs> <laughs> of course. You know, Rick, when it came to photos, he said, I'll take you out for a night drinking if you, if you stop bothering me to come in the studio. I said, deal. And it was WrestleMania Chicago. And I think I'd gone out to dinner with the guys. And I came back to my room and there was a message. John, it's Ric Flair. Where are you? I'm at this bar. We're supposed to be going out. Like, Ric Flair's leaving me a message. So now we found him. He goes, Giamundo, what kind of name is that? What are you in the Sopranos or something? <laughs> of course, because he's a guy from the Midwest. So anybody with an Italian name has to be and the Sopranos on the Sopranos. At that time were the biggest show on TV. So of course, right. I'm like, no, <laughs> I'm not from New Jersey. <laughs> and I'm not, in the, I'm not on that TV show. I have nothing to do with that life. <laughs> Well, you 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 made it 21 and a half years. That's something to be proud of. That's like a century in WWE time. So without that. Uh, it was a good run. It was a, it was a good run. Is that what some of the boys say when they had the title yes. for two weeks? It was a good run. <laughs> yeah, it was a good run, right? It was it was more than a cup of coffee. But uh and again, and I mean this that I want to do it again because oh, for you sure, know, man. uh because man, there's things that I would love to get to. I'm not even gonna bring it up because if I do, we're gonna be talking another half hour. <laughs> but there's yeah. things I absolutely want to get to that we did together or that our departments did together. We'll have to do it again. And I'm I'm just thankful that you wanted to be on, you know, after all the years that you were in WWE. Oh, sure, it means man. a lot. It's a lot of fun. Uh I had fun on my friend's show. We didn't realize where we I was on for an hour and a half. Like, we gotta get out. We've been on, we've been talking, tell, I've been telling stories for that long. They're like, dude, the people eating up, you got to come back. <laughs> yeah, that's because you had to keep your mouth shut for 21 and a half years. So now you just said, and yeah, I'm not, I mean, I'm not going to bury anybody. There's no point in, no. in, that's not my purpose to like, you know, bury anyone or a bitch about stuff. It's, you know, there's stuff that you and I have seen that the average fan or a big time wrestling fan, they don't know what goes on and then they love to hear it. And it's not, you know, it's all positive stuff, not negative about it. I mean, I could tell a lot of funny stories about on international tours and that people would love. <laughs> we'll do it on the next one. And that's why I love having people that, you know, former WWE and corporate people and road people. I love those kind of shows because like you said, people don't realize the kind of stories that people like us have from just being inside that company. So, you know, oh, yeah. thanks for, well, you got to try to get Steve it. Taylor on. I'll keep trying. If you yeah. know any way to get him, I'd, I don't, I mean, I, I would appreciate I'll it. Message, but... I'll message him on Facebook. I'll send yeah. him a message. Do that because you know what too, I'm writing this book about gorilla monsoon now, and I would love to even talk to Steve about that. I'm sure he's got some gorilla stories from, you know, back in the day. That would be fun. I would bet. Yeah, for yeah. sure. You know, he was there through Andre and all that. Right. All right, John, thank you so much, and we'll oh, do it pleasure. again soon. Yeah, man, for sure. Be Take care. There you have it, folks, my conversation with Johnny Photo. And Photo, thank you so much for finally coming on the show. I'm glad that we could finally make it happen, and I hope to have you back on the show eventually. But for now, let's look ahead to next week, Episode 77. This is going to be a great one. 
because I have on the show the son of the great Angelo Savoldi, the second generation wrestling promoter and a great raconteur in his own right, Mario Savoldi of the Savoldi Wrestling Family. A great episode coming up next week for number 77. And keep listening to Shut Up and Wrestle because we keep it rolling. Other future guests that we have, we're continuing a second generation trend here on the show because among my upcoming guests are Kurt Beyer, the son of the intelligent sensational destroyer, and Megan Baker Kelly, the daughter of Ox Baker, among many other people that I am working on to bring to you the listeners of Shut Up and Wrestle. And where can you listen to Shut Up and Wrestle? Our website is suawpod.com. That is the only place where you can find every single one of the past 76 episodes of Shut Up and Wrestle. Other than that, you can find the past year's worth of episodes wherever you get your podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Podbean, Podcast Addict, Apple Podcasts, Check out the show. Subscribe. You will not regret it. Hopefully, you already have subscribed. Also, while you're at it, join the Facebook group, Shut Up and Wrestle with Brian R. Solomon. Join the party on Facebook. It's always a great time. I'd like to also make mention of the wrestling news from Arcadian Vanguard. Every morning, your stop for all the news in the pro wrestling business, and I'm proud to be a part of it. Check it out at thewrestlingnews.com as well as on the Arcadian Vanguard YouTube page. Subscribe to it, enjoy it every single morning, and I do mean every single morning. If you'd like to pick up a copy of my book, Blood and Fire, the unbelievable real-life story of wrestling's original chic, you can get it in print, digital, or audio form on Amazon.com, at Barnes & Noble, or wherever books are sold. Please do check it out if you haven't already. The magazines that I write for, Pro Wrestling Illustrated, can be found at pwi-online.com. Inside the Ropes Magazine, you can get at insidetheropesmagazine.com. They are both for sale in print form and in digital form, so you have no excuse. And I'm also proud to be the co-host of the PWI podcast with Al Castle, which you can find in any of the previously mentioned podcast locations. If you're looking for me on social media, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Brian R. Solomon. And on Facebook, my author page is Brian Solomon Writer. On any one of those social media platforms, you will find the link to my author website on the World Wide Web. Shut Up and Wrestle is a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. And as always, this has been Brian R. Solomon asking you to keep those cards and letters coming in and reminding you, don't take any shit from nobody. So long, wrestling fans. 